I want to invite us just to kind of take a breath for a minute, and uh, we'll have a little bit of fun, okay? Uh, the National Restaurant Association is an organization that exists to, uh, to essentially equip and uh, unify and lobby for restaurateurs across the country, right? So you may have heard them going before Congress and asking for relief funds or things like that. What you may not know that they do is for restaurateurs, they have a publication that, that helps restaurateurs sort of match to trends in dining markets. What are the dining habits? How, how do they change over the course of time? And so they publish kind of a trending in and trending out list every year. And so I thought it might be fun to, uh, to consider for a moment, uh, being that in Baltimore we often consider ourselves foodies and we live in a town with great food, to be, to be honest, but uh, like just, just what, how, how in touch might you be this morning with the dining trends as published by the National Restaurant Association, okay? So, so listen, I can't see you super well uh, you can yell at me if you want. You're like, oh, they're trending in, or they're trending out, or you can give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, or you can be the perfect little introvert and just stay right where you are. I won't, I won't be moved, I, I promise, right? So, so we're just going to do, I'm going to give you five of these, right? So here we go. First one um, is, is the spicy or sweet heat fusion chicken sandwich. Is that a trending in, or is that a trending out? That's in, Okay. That's called the chicken sandwich 3.0, for those of you who didn't know, in food culture. That is chicken sandwich 3.0, and for 2023, it's in. Uh, spoiler alert there on the screen, right? Like, um, how, about, how about this one? Uh, upscale pigs in a blanket. Upscale pigs in a blanket. Is that in for 2023, or is that trending out? That was so 2022. That was so 2022. So those of you who are looking for your puff pastry hot dogs... You're going to have to look elsewhere. Um, how about this one? How about pork shoulder? Pork shoulder. Is that a trending in or a trending out thing? That, that's in. That's in right now because, you know, less expensive cuts of meat are things that are appealing to restaurateurs and to consumers right now. All right, here's the fourth one. Fruit-flavored coffees. Fruit-flavored coffees. They are out, and that is heresy. <laughs> like, yeah, finally. We, we're, we're not, we don't do everything perfect. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Breakfast salads. Breakfast salads. I had to look up what breakfast salads were, by the way, which probably says something about me. Breakfast salads, friends, are on their way out in 2023. Those of you that like your microgreens and arugula along with your eggs and avocado um, may not find it on the menu in 2024 if we're just following dining trends. Okay, so the other, the other ends, oat milk and charcuterie boards, other outs are crudite platters and, and uh, pickled french fries. Okay, here's the point. One of the things the National Restaurant Association wants to do is help equip restaurateurs to read the room. Right, to read the trends, to pay attention to the habits of their consumers. And, and then here's what's also true for you. Um, you go through life having made a series of assumptions about how you navigate meals. Right? When you were in high school, there was probably a table that you went to. There's maybe another table that you wanted to go to, but you didn't go to. Uh, you, you made decisions in the, the COVID era about whether or not you tipped for takeout. And now you're asking the question of, like, do I still tip for takeout? 
You, 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 every culture does this, right? For, with, with all across history and time, because we all have this shared humanity, we have to eat. There are rituals and purposes to how, as cultures, we come to do that particular thing. And so, one of the things that Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus, in the public ministry of Jesus, we get to actually see and pay attention to, is how Jesus ate. And what Jesus says about eating. Not just so much what he eats, though we do get a glimpse of that here or there, but, but the conventions of the time that as he looks at his first century culture and sees like the rules written and unwritten about who you dine with and how you dine, the ones that he leans into and the ones that he challenges. And, and the reason why we're even doing this at all and having this conversation at all above it being in the scriptures, is because we are taking a look at these um, ordinary everyday rhythms that uh, if, if we as a collective body of believers, men and women, living into the story of Jesus, um, if we took these things seriously, the, the, the point of this series, Everyday Mission, has been to say we might see God work in and around and through us in ways that we just Weren't, we weren't scripting. We, we, we didn't know that those things would happen, but, but God worked in and around and through our story. We talked in week one about a posture of prayer, which was not so much the, the inclination to say, how, how can I get like, God to sort of work and move in everyone's story the way I want, but to align ourselves with the character and the heart and holiness of Jesus so that we might see people as God sees people. Last week we talked about the idea of listening, meaning that, that what if ministry and what if caring for others was less about a rehearsed speech that we give, that people say yes or no to, and more about a posture of leaning in and paying attention of, to the needs of people around us? What would it mean to be a church marked by the ability to listen to one another, to listen to a community? And today we want to pay attention to what I'll call the mindful eating of Jesus. The mindful eating of Jesus. Now, you've heard that phrase, perhaps, mindful eating, and perhaps you eat mindfully. Perhaps there's a type of a part of the day where you no longer enjoy caffeinated beverage. Perhaps you count protein grams. Perhaps you limit carbs, or perhaps you pay attention, maybe even to the weight of what, what kind of food and how much food you're taking in at any given time. Like, mindful eating... Um, is, is, is something that you've probably heard something about. I prefer um, to just get, I, I might do that for a little bit, and then I just end up snacking, which is a whole other problem, right? We, we can feel this tension in, in our world as well. Uh, the mindful eating of Jesus. So what we see here in this story that Lizza read for us is, um, is a moment that maybe, in a sense, appears to be accidental or unscripted, but is actually quite mindful, is actually quite purposeful. And, and so let's pay attention to what it shows us about the kingdom of God and, and, made, and God's character, but let's also pay attention to what it's inviting us to do, what's inviting us to receive, what's inviting us to enjoy even in our own heart. Uh, this, this mindful eating of Jesus, first of all, is purposeful. Right? So I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you've gone to another part of the country or you've gone to someone else's 
family's house for dinner or you, you visited another culture and you found out kind of the hard way that not everyone like does things the way you do them, right? That, that maybe in some family that you went to for dinner, like they eat that particular food with like a knife and a fork and you're like, you've got it like the up to your mouth before you realize it. Or, or I didn't grow up going to church and so I was always a little weirded out when like I sat down and then people were like, we're going to pray. And I was like, oh crud, you know, the, the food's going to catch fire in front of me because I, I didn't grow up in a family that did that every week, you know. It was more of a special occasion type of thing. Um, one of the things that, you know, that you try to do when you travel to other places is, is, is not put yourself in the embarrassing situation of being the guy that doesn't know what he's doing. And so, so what we need to understand about this particular text, when Jesus goes to a tax collector's house, he is defying first century norms about what rabbis, particularly those that are connecting to the holiness of God and the invitation of God, like you don't go. Like eating, eating is a very specific thing to do. It's intimate. It refers to um, maybe the people that you are most aligned with. You don't, you don't go have a meal with someone who is an outsider. You do, not if you're purporting to be holy. Not if you're purporting to have something to say about the kingdom of God. But this isn't a situation that warrants Jesus the next day issuing some kind of YouTube apology. Like, hey guys, I'm just really sorry. I want to take this minute to say if I offended anybody, I just uh, go ahead and smash that subscribe button. Like, that's not what's happening here. Jesus is being quite provocative and doing this quite intentionally. Jesus is saying something purposeful about who he's willing to share an intimate space with who he's willing to invite, who he's willing to dine with. People that other people are like, well, hold on a minute. Do you know about those tax collectors? Do you know about those people? You don't share a meal with them. They're traitors, they're sellouts, they exploit people. And Jesus is saying, no, it, quite purposefully, I'm going to, to be in relationship. I'm going to be in, uh, share a meal with them quite purposefully to display my character and my kingdom. And I've already kind of said it here again. I'll restate it, but it's quite, it's quite personal too. So I'll read 9 and 10 again. It's been a few minutes since we last heard it. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So we not just see, not only is just we, we see purposeful, but we see something personal. He, he calls this man by his name and invites him to a relational space. The, his relational space, the heart of his family rhythms, the heart of where he as a tax collector would come in at the end of a, of a hard-earned day exploiting people and, 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 and aims to reframe the conversation. I think this is refreshing in two ways. I think first of all, I think it's refreshing first in, in the sense of considering that what, when, when Jesus is offering a personal invitation, it's not a gotcha moment. So Jesus, if Jesus just has an agenda and if Jesus just wants to use um, the clout and the status and the position of Matthew to build his own kingdom, he's going to go there with all the religious leaders and Pharisees and kind of create this gotcha moment. And isn't it interesting that he does call Matthew to transform his life. He does call Matthew to walk away from being a tax collector. But look at how he does it. By calling him by his name. By entering a relational space. By gathering a community around him. And by helping him embrace a better story. 
And, and how many, I don't know if you live in a space like this where you just, you feel like, maybe there's spaces in your life where you just feel like people don't actually care about you, they just care about what you do for them. Like, right, like if you're, like if you're a teacher or an, 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 a, you're in healthcare or you just, maybe you're at your office, it's like, I am this thing that I do, but I'm not a person that has feelings, I'm not a person that has limits. I mean, we, we do kind of shrink into treating one another that way, don't we? And how special in a moment, if you ever have felt that way, when someone sits across the table and sees you and says, hey, unpack that for me. Help me understand what's going on in your life. Help me understand how you got to this particular place. It's, it's quite personal. It's quite, it's quite removed from, you, you know, using a tax collector to build his own kingdom, but rather to say, hey, if he really does want a table where tax collectors are welcome, you, you get to go to a space and understand the story of the tax collector. And then surrounding that tax collector with a personal community. I, I think it's really a beautiful feature of this story and it speaks to the power of eating right when we come when we come out of this place where we're posturing and we're arguing and we actually are sharing a meal and we're seeing one another's idiosyncrasies and we're seeing how we chew with our mouth open or we we are like interrupting one another or we we sip we, we take weird sips and we go ah like i don't know what your weird idiosyncrasy is that's a that's a pet peeve, <laughs> right? Like that one in particular. But, or, or talking with a fork, that, that's one that, you know, we, we sometimes do. Um, but it's, it's just, it's a lot more personal. And it's a lot more personable. And it's, and, and just in your own life, here's what you know. Um, I know it. Like, there's some, there's such some things you're going to go through that are better suited for conversations. Better suited for people that, you know, like they can, someone can send you a link to a sermon and you're like, oh, that's good information. But there's something transformational about someone sitting beside you, listening to you share a thing that's going on in your story. You've benefited beautifully from that probably in your life. Meeting you where you are and walking with you to where they may help you see where you can be or what God might do in your story. And may we be uh, so committed in the same way, to that level of personability. Um, we also see Jesus' willingness to be proximate, right? So the conjecture here is that this guy is willing to be in community with tax collectors and sinners. Now, what the Pharisees, the Pharisees get kind of a, you know, we, we know if we're acquainted with the scriptures even a little bit, that, that they are a people that are sort of always kind of mentioned as the nemesis of Jesus, but what you have to understand is that what their, what their theology is rooted in is, is something important. The holiness and the character of God, the Old Testament law that said, hey, we're going to be a community that, that reflects the holiness of God by doing, we're going to feast this way, we're going to fast this way, we're going to do festivals this way, we're going to live this way because we aim to, we aim to display to the world around us God's holiness and God's character and we want to live in accordance with that. They, they also know something that, that like, that, that perhaps they take a bit too far here, but, but it's something you know too, which is that like, hey, there are people you can hang out with that you don't make great decisions with. Right? Like, there are people that like, yeah, when I, when I roll with this person, I do not, I do not 
do things wisely. <laughs> I get myself into some scraps. There, there is something, too, just, just your virology would tell us, right? If, I sit, if, if someone in my house comes home and has a stomach bug, there's probably a pretty good chance that someone else is going to have a stomach bug. And then maybe three or four of us will have a stomach bug by the time it's all done, right? Because, and so what the, the, the Pharisees are trying to, to protect is, is their own personal holiness, though obviously they go too far, and the idea that, well, well, God is set apart. And here is what Jesus is trying to say. When he says, hey, it's not the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. He's, he's saying, first of all, there is a, a spiritual sickness here that I can bring healing to. I have the power to heal. But, but hey, as being fully God, I'm not contaminated by your mess. I, I, I'm immune to your junk getting on. Like, I, that's not how this works. God moves to you and can bring you healing, but you are not going to sully Jesus with your proximity to Jesus. Like, like this, this, this maybe is good for those of us who may sometimes feel like, well, if, if the world knew who I really was, they wouldn't be welcome in the church. I couldn't be proximate because I have these doubts. I have these things that I'm worried about. If you knew my story, if you knew this thing that I did 10 years ago, you know, like, like that narrative that somehow we would sully the grace and mercy and the perfection and the holiness of Jesus because of how we bring ourselves. Like this, this text shows us not just that Jesus wants to be proximate to and near hurting people, but that, but that God's desire is to bring healing in those spaces. And God is not sullied by your mess. God is not sullied by your doubts. God is not sullied or messed up by the fact that like, oh, you don't, you don't have a complete picture of God's love in your story today. And, you're, and that's messing with you. Jesus is willing to be proximate and near those who, those who do not yet fully understand the healing power of Jesus. And it's a challenge then to the ones who see themselves as kind of the hero and the gatekeepers of the story to maintain a posture of humility. For, so because because he, he quotes Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 here when he says, Hey, learn what this means, verse 13, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. Okay, so Pharisees, you do get the idea of God's character. You do get the idea of God's holiness. You do get the idea of God's set-apartness. But what you don't get is that, that like, all the people in in the Old Testament who sort of, you know, grandstanded about that, but but were not in proximity and relationship with people who were 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 down in spirit, who were downtrodden, who felt left behind, who 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 had injustice perpetuated against them, like a perpetual refrain in the prophets, which is a section of Old Testament literature, is like, like do not forget those. Like, you can, you can grandstand and have church every Sunday, and it can be awesome, but if you in your life are forgetting about those who have been left behind, or you, you think you have all the answers, or you have no room for growth, then you fail to capture the real invitation of what's happening here. So Jesus gives them the homework, which I think is lifelong homework for all of us, by the way, to really understand what mercy means. To, to not just look at spiritual growth and development as, look at all this stuff I do for Jesus. 
but to understand the depths to which Jesus has been proximate and personal and, and purposeful and extending grace and mercy into our space. To, to say to these folks like, hey, if you don't think that God's mercy and grace can extend into the tax collector's life, then, then maybe check your own assumptions about what God's character and kingdom is really like. Is there space to talk about how the truth of God's character is applied and lived out? Absolutely. But if, but if we're just going to, but if we're just going to like grandstand about how amazing and awesome we are, if everything's a, an, an argument to be won and not a mercy and a humility to be understood, then we may miss the point of what God's mercy and grace actually means. And so this is the invitation for us today to both receive this and to extend this. So, so let's revisit those four phrases really quickly. To, to revisit the idea of, of, of eating purposefully. I, you know, the, again, just a meal becomes a place of transformation in this story. We don't get a sermon. We get a meal. We get proximity. We get purposefulness. And now here's what I would just invite you to consider. How purposeful are you about who you share tables with? How purposeful are you about how you enter the space of, of others? You, you have... Okay, if you eat like most Americans, 18 to 21 opportunities this week to, to share tables, to, to be purposeful in the conversations that you extend, to, uh, to make space for questions, laughter, concerns. And, and here's, here's what will also be, be true, that, that like the world is constant. For, for everyone's shared ability or need to eat, Everyone is also attacking that same schedule for you, right? If you're trying to have family dinner with like 14 different soccer schedules and 17 different lacrosse schedules, like you know, like we're just trying to complete a sentence on a Monday, right? We, and, 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 and then we can, so to, to be purposeful, how can I create space, even just a little bit of space? It, not living in the scarcity of like, well, I don't have a great house for hosting. I'm not much of a cook. I don't really have the money to go out with people. Like, like step away from the excuses for a moment and say, how, how can I be purposeful as God has been personal, pers purposeful with me? And then to also do that from a sense of personally, right? To, to understand and to remember that some of the best work God is going to do in the life of people that you love and care about is through your your continued willingness to show up in their story. Like, and that's not to put a pressure on you so much as it is just to make you aware and to be mindful that like that car ride from point A to point B is, is a space where the beauty of God's spirit can show up in those conversations. If you only have 30 minutes for lunch with a group of people, you know, changing the dynamics of the conversation beyond the Orioles and Ravens. Being the person that says, how are you? And actually cares about what the answer is. As opposed to the quick exchange of, how are you? How are you? Good, 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 good. cool. They got hot dogs in the cafeteria. <laughs> you know? There's, there's a transformational, and just reality, I think I'm just reminded this week. That there are some things that, like, if I just kind of, encapsulated all the things people in our community are going through into this sermon. It's just like so many things people are going through that like a sermon for all that it can do 
cannot speak to every nuance and jot and tittle of like the things that are happening in our community. But you know what can? Listening ears and shared space. Like to be, to be, to be proximate, to be present with people. Do, do you, do you, do you, are you, do you live that way? Do you, do you, do you stand at a distance trying to fix everyone with clever arguments and like, links on Facebook, I, I, or, or do you actually enter the space of people who are hurting? And then lastly, do you, do you live from a posture of mercy? I, I'm in a phase, because I have teenagers, where I'm starting to apologize to my parents for being a teenager at one point in time. <laughs> and here was, one, here was one that recently I had to issue an apology for. Like, I was a picky kid, and I was definitely the kid that would come home from soccer practice, like, hungry and like ready to eat the whole room and then like I'd ask what for what dinner was and I would get the answer and it would just be unsatisfactory whatever it was if it didn't fit into this narrow definition of like the three things Scott would eat as a sophomore in high school who by the way is not helping cook or prepare the food provide the food in any way shape or form but man I had a hot take every time I came into that space (laughs) oh man and so you can imagine now, as a father preparing said meals, that I, when I don't always receive the fanfare and applause for the things that are prepared, um, that it brings a different level of like, you have got to be kidding me. You, did you make this food? Did you go earn the money? Did you go to, you know, oh, I'm sorry, the, I didn't see you prepare the, the breakfast salad, you know, like, whatever, whatever it is, like, I'm, I'm prone to like an indignance because I failed to understand that I've, that I've been in that space where I've just been hungry and desperate and not really known or understood what I wanted and I'm just raging teenage angst because, because for no other reason than I was 15 years old and that just is apparently issued on your 15th birthday. And, uh, and, and like, and here's the, fun, the, funny, the funny joke we're telling, right? Like in that or I'm trying to tell is like it's funny that we're kind of like you go from being that person that's like all spun up about like it's it's unjust and it's not for me and it's not the way I want it to being the person that like ultimately has that thing projected on you and it's like to have a thick skin and a soft heart is a special thing (laughs) it's a thing that that the love of God does in our story and I think that's the posture of humility and sacrifice to remember that those moments are a moment where someone is hangry, they're not just personally attacking me. Like, they don't have a sense of what goes into the mercy and grace of of extending a table for a family that's coming home exhausted at the end of the day. And by proxy, a lifelong journey for all of us is is to always be mindful of what Jesus has done to enter our space, to be present with us, to be merciful and gracious with us in our doubts, in our sin, in our unrighteousness, and our failure to see the big picture, in the ways that we lash out, and to keep, to keep coming back to that as the source of our fuel so that we can continue to create space for people that we want to extend that same love to. To, 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 but do, do you live in that space this week? Do you, do you, do you, I mean, and, and if you don't, this isn't just, well, shut up and try harder. <laughs> it's to come back to and remember how you've been loved. That's the invitation this morning, to come back and to remember how you've been loved. N.T. Wright loves to say that, when, that how Jesus changes lives is not by giving them more arguments, but by giving people meals, right? To, 
to have this, this moment that we mark in communion, which we're going to celebrate today. This moment where Jesus is gathered with a group of people who are going to betray and run and scatter and not understand and try to align to political kingdoms and, and try to project their own insecurities onto Jesus. That Jesus is going to meet them, help them receive his love and walk with them as they process all of those things. Jesus says, that is a tangible picture. Your, your invitation to this table, not because you're awesome, but because of what I'm going to do for you and how I'm walking with you, is the posture by which we continue to come back and, and remember how we've been loved by God. So that we continue to extend that kind of love to a world thirsty for it. I love this quote from Sean Anikrist. If you play Foundry Bingo, you've heard it like 40 times. When I say Foundry Bingo, I mean the things I say all the time. Right? But this is a quote you've heard more than one time, but I don't have it memorized and I bet you don't either. So I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> and we'll keep working together until we get it. This, this admission of the shared space that we're going to celebrate in communion and that the tables that we create will also extend. It says we don't come to the table to fight or to defend. We don't come to prove or to conquer, to draw lines in the sand or to stir up trouble. We come to the table because our hunger brings us there. We come with need, with fragility, with the admission of our humanity. The table is the great equalizer, the level playing field many of us have been looking everywhere for. The table is where the doing stops, the trying stops, the masks are removed, and we allow ourselves to be nourished like children. We allow someone else to meet our needs. In a world that prides people on not having needs or going longer and faster or going without or powering through, the table is a place of safety and rest and humanity where we are as loud to be as fragile as we feel. This morning as we step into a time of communion, as we consider the implications of this purposeful eating of Jesus, I want to offer two invitations to you. One, whether it's the first time or the 300th time, to, to receive the mercy of scandalous grace. Extended by Jesus. Which says you got to this table not because you're awesome. Not because you had it all figured out. Not because, not because your mom and dad were Christians. But because I love you. <laughs> I conquered death and I can conquer your sin. And, and to recommit ourselves if we are followers of Jesus, to create and cultivate spaces this week and in the weeks to come where others can receive that through the purposeful, present, proximate, and in a posture of humility life that's extended to us by the grace and mercy of Jesus taking root in our story. There's four stations in this room. I'll pray for us, and then we'll just create space for us to remember and to walk in that beautiful invitation as we receive the Lord's Supper together. Lord, Lord I want to thank you that you are willing to, to, to go to the house of someone who others would go, wait, 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 no, 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 you don't. No, you can't. And that you have the power to transform stories. That you have the power to listen, to unravel, and to unwind the, the anxieties and insecurities and ways in which we're posturing and trying to just live into this moment and to invite us and call us to a better picture of rest. 
Lord, my prayer this morning is that as we remember your love for us, however many things have happened since we last said we were going to remember last Sunday or a month ago, that we would just get a fresh perspective of your mercy, really receive it, and get a picture of, of hope that we can extend to others. Lord, we partake and we remember your mercy now. In the name of Jesus.